The following podcast is part of a certified educational activity titled Targeting BTK, the latest data on the evolving treatment landscape for patients with MS. Access the entire activity and complete the post-test at peerview.com forward slash TFV860. Downloadable slides are also available. Hello, and welcome to this educational activity on BTK inhibitors as a potential treatment for multiple sclerosis. I am Dr. Daniel Reich. I'm participating in this CME event as an outside activity and not as part of my official capacity at the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke uh, at the National Institutes of Health. Our goals for today, to enhance your understanding of the mechanism of action of Bruton tyrosine kinase inhibitors in the targeted treatment of multiple sclerosis to update you on the current evidence coming out of the clinical trials, and to help you consider which patients may benefit from treatment with BTK inhibitors based on current evidence and individual treatment needs and priorities. The multiple sclerosis lesion in the brain or spinal cord is a complex thing. There is a plethora of cell types, uh, including cells of the brain and cells of the immune system that are interacting in complex ways. Uh, And we understand that the pathogenesis of an MS lesion in terms of how it forms and how it resolves and hopefully how it repairs depend on this interplay. And principal drivers in the immune uh, system include T cells and B cells. And in the immune system of the brain, the innate immune system of the brain, the microglia, in concert with a whole host of other cell types. So what is the rationale for BTK inhibition in multiple sclerosis? BTK is expressed in uh, most immune cells, um, in particular uh, for the purposes of uh, multiple sclerosis in B cells and in the uh, microglia of the brain. Um, in B cells, it's, it is located downstream of the B cell receptor and in microglia, downstream of the FC gamma receptor. And in B cells, inhibition of BTK would be expected to slow maturation of B cells to reduce their proliferation, ultimately to reduce autoantibody production and to decrease cytokine secretion. Uh, Whereas within microglia, again, the innate immune cells of the brain, BTK inhibition would be expected to decrease their activation and to uh, diminish their pro-inflammatory cytokine secretion. Um, And it would also thereby have impacts on cell-cell communication, which may be relevant for the development and repair of multiple sclerosis lesions. So with all of that, Uh, what can we say about the potential advantages of BTK inhibitors in MS treatment? Well, multiple lines of evidence show the chronic neuroinflammation that contributes to disability in both relapsing and progressive MS is associated with B lymphocytes and microglia in the central nervous system, as I've said. BTK regulates B lymphocytes and myeloid cells and is therefore a logical therapeutic target in MS, as well as in other uh, autoimmune diseases potentially. Um, And unlike MS therapies that act primarily outside the CNS, most of our, uh, in fact, all of our um, uh, approved disease-modifying therapies, 
um, some BTK inhibitors have been demonstrated to cross the blood-brain barrier and can even reach therapeutic concentrations within the brain and spinal cord. Um, and so BTK inhibition may have a, a double mode of action, both in the periphery and the peripheral immune system uh, and uh, within the CNS itself. Um, so uh, comparing both BTK uh, inhibitors and uh, CD20 antibody um, uh, therapies will be expected to uh, impact um, B cells, of course. Um, and we know that B cell depletion via anti-CD20 monoclonal antibodies substantially, even dramatically in most cases, reduces MS uh, relapses, um, as well as the uh, new lesions or new plaques that develop and are visible on MRI as measures of activity. Um, and though there are data, certainly, and an approval for CD20 inhibition uh, in modifying uh, progressive MS, um, the impact on progression and the, and, all, and the biology associated with progression, including chronic inflammation, uh, is overall less clear than its dramatic impact on the formation of new lesions and relapses. Um, BTK inhibitors... Um, uh, are expected um, not to fully suppress B cells, uh, but to, to modulate them and to modulate their functioning without creating um, a true immunodeficiencies. And so there may be some safety advantages to using BTK um, uh, relative to CD20 uh, monoclonal antibodies. So one of the concerns uh, with uh, current MS treatments is immune suppression, in particular, um, one, uh, around B cell suppression uh, and elimination with CD20 inhibition using monoclonal antibodies. Um, there are concerns with respect to uh, infections that can occur, including common infections and potentially poor outcomes in uh, COVID-19. You can see hospitalization data here on the right uh, relative to glitermer uh, acetate. Um, and it's possible that because BTK inhibitors are not depleting of B cells, but rather immunomodulating, that the, um, they, the uh, infection data um, may be more favorable. And that is something that the uh, large trials hopefully will inform us about. So we know that in multiple sclerosis, thinking about the pathophysiology of MS, that inflammation and axonal loss uh, and subsequent neurodegeneration are uh, intimately linked. Um, inflammation manifests uh, most clearly as new lesion formation, which we see on MRI, and a portion of those new lesions are the basis for clinical relapse. And these are most frequent uh, early in the disease, and they become gradually less frequent over time, even in the absence of treatment as patients age. Um, and at a certain point in most patients, secondary progression um, takes over, at least as the dominant clinical uh, picture. But we know that there is axonal transection and neurodegeneration that occurs from the very beginning of the disease, and it may not manifest as clinical progression until it crosses uh, some threshold. Um, and we know now and we understand that um, much of that neurodegeneration occurs um, 
uh, not temporally linked with the acute inflammation, the new lesion formation, um, but may have a basis in chronic non-resolving inflammation that occurs in the brain um, that may not be targeted by peripheral uh, immune modulation such as um, uh, with CD20 monoclonal antibodies or the other disease-modifying therapies that we have. So what do the trials reveal about BTK inhibition? Uh, so there are a number of BTK inhibitors in clinical trials for multiple sclerosis, um, four of them in um, phase three studies, evobrutinib, talabrutinib, fenobrutinib, and remibrutinib. Um, and to date, uh, only data from phase two trials in evobrutinib and talabrutinib uh, are available um, and in published uh, form uh, or in presented form. Um, and you can see that these BTK inhibitors differ in terms of uh, how they uh, bind to BTK, either covalent or non-covalent, and in their reversibility. So let's discuss the uh, data with respect to evobrutinib. Evobrutinib is the first of the BTK inhibitors for which we have data in multiple sclerosis. Here's the design of the phase two clinical trials of evobrutinib. Um, this study um, enrolled uh, patients with relapsing uh, remitting multiple sclerosis or secondary progressive MS with uh, ongoing relapses into one of uh, five arms, a placebo arm, which after 24 weeks trans transitioned to evobrutinib 25 milligrams, 25 milligrams of evobrutinib from the get-go, 75 milligrams once a day and 75 milligrams twice a day, with an active control in, of dimethyl fumarate also followed. And these um, uh, were studied for 24 weeks with a blinded extension out to uh, 48 weeks. The primary outcome uh, was MRI, the number of uh, new um, gadolinium-enhancing uh, lesions, uh, but other outcomes including T2 lesions and uh, gadolinium-enhancing lesion volume were also studied. Uh, and relapsed, annualized relapse rates and EDSS, the disability scale, were also looked at. After uh, the trial was finished, there was safety follow-up and open-label extension, initially with 75 milligrams daily, uh, which changed to 75 milligrams twice a day after 48 weeks. Um, and here are the uh, primary results showing a reduction um, in the uh, number of uh, gadolinium-enhancing lesions at the uh, 75 milligram dose uh, and trending at the 75 milligram twice a day dose. Um, treatment emergent uh, adverse events, including grade three and serious uh, treatment of emergent adverse events were comparable, um, but a bit higher um, with uh, 75 milligram twice a day dosing driven by asymptomatic increases in liver uh, transaminases. And we'll come back later uh, to talk about uh, liver um, uh, issues with respect to BTK inhibition. And there was evidence of a dose-response uh, relationship with evobrutinib. The annualized relapse uh, rates were lower in uh, evobrutinib at uh, 75 milligrams and 75 milligrams twice a day uh, than in the placebo uh, group and um, comparable, I think, to uh, what was observed with dimethyl fumarate. Again, the total number of uh, gadolinium-enhancing lesions and new and enlarging lesions uh, compared to placebo was reduced on the higher doses of evobrutinib. Um, and uh, another 
interesting and important MRI measure was looked at uh, subsequently um, in uh, ivabrutinib-treated patients, and these are called slowly expanding lesions or sometimes slowly evolving lesions. This reflects uh, lesions that are um, dark on T1-weighted images, hypo-intense relative to brain, that are gradually enlarging over time as judged from a combined analysis of the entire trial MRI data set. And these are thought uh, the basis of slow uh, expansion of lesions um, as visualized uh, in this manner um, is not entirely known. However, um, it's been hypothesized and there's some data to corroborate that it may be a reflection of uh, chronic inflammation in the brain. And um, in this early analysis, uh, there is a trend toward a reduction um, of the slowly enlarging lesion volume uh, at the highest doses of ivabrutinib. At the 2023 American Academy of Neurology meeting, the efficacy and safety data of ivabrutinib over three and a half uh, years in the long-term extension um, uh, were studied. 72% um, of patients or 155 patients completed more than 228 weeks of treatment. This is more than four years, so the combined 48 weeks in the double-blind period and the long-term extension. Um, the pooled annualized relapse rate remained low uh, at 0.13 uh, per year, um, supporting the phase three clinical trial dosing regimen, and that's currently ongoing. Um, and then uh, the rates of a treatment serious treatment emergent adverse events and ser serious uh, infections in general were relatively low, and in the long-term extension, no new safety signals emerged. Uh, also at the 2023 AAN meeting, um, additional non-clinical data for ivabrutinib were presented in comparison with CD20 inhibition in mice uh, with experimental autoimmune encephalomyelitis, or EAE, um, suggesting that there may be impact of ivabrutinib um, on uh, CNS inflammation that is not achieved with B-cell depletion therapy. And then finally, also presented at the 2023 AAN meeting, um, neurofilaments uh, in the serum were looked at over the long-term extension, um, and uh, neurofilament levels declined in the trial, um, and this was associated with improved MRI and relapse outcomes, um, again, supporting the role of neurofilaments as a prognostic, potential prognostic marker for disease activity uh, in the setting of BTK inhibition. I'll now summarize data uh, from the trials of the second uh, BTK inhibitor for which data have been presented and published, and that's talibrutinib. Shown here is the design of the phase two dose-finding study for talibrutinib. Uh, this was a study of uh, patients with relapsing remitting, uh, sorry, with relapsing multiple sclerosis um, with EDSS between zero and 5.5, and they were adults. Um, they had to have evidence of uh, a history of relapse in the past one to two years uh, or of uh, new lesions on the MRI. This was uh, an interesting study uh, that had a block design. Four doses of talibrutinib were studied either initially after randomization or after a four-week placebo 
uh, run-in and those who got um, uh, talibrutinib in the first block, both of these blocks were 12 weeks, were then transitioned to a, a four-week run-out. Um, at this point, uh, the long-term extension study began um, and uh, patients were maintained uh, at the dose um, that they had been randomized to during the double-blind period uh, until the uh, final dose for the phase three studies, which was 60 milligrams per day, was selected, at which point everybody was transitioned uh, to that dose, those who remained within the study. Uh, MRIs were performed every four weeks in the double-blind period, um, and then uh, at lower frequencies uh, in the long-term extension study, which is still uh, ongoing. Um, and with respect to the primary outcome of the phase two study in talibrutinib, uh, there was a dose response uh, effect showing a reduction in new gadolinium-enhancing lesions in the brain um, uh, as the dose of talibrutinib uh, increased with a re relative reduction uh, of 85% in the 60 milligram dose after the 12 weeks of treatment. At the uh, AAN 2023, um, two and a half year safety and clinical efficacy results from the long-term extension study were um, presented. I've already gone over the design of uh, that study. There was a treatment gra uh, gap, which was a variable uh, length for different uh, participants um, as part of the study, and that had to do with the transition from the double-blind um, uh, to the um, open-label study, as well as the uh, placebo uh, runout. Um, there were no new safety signals at week 120. Uh, the most common adverse events um, were uh, COVID-19, um, headache, nasopharyngitis, upper respiratory infection, uh, and then uh, uh, some other um, uh, conditions with less than 10% um, prevalence in the group. Um, the annual relapse rate remained uh, low at about 02 um, at the long-term follow-up, um, about three-quarters of the participants remained relapse-free, uh, and the mean uh, disability scale, the EDSS, remained stable out to week 120. A subgroup analysis was also presented at AAN 2023 at week 96. These were individuals with highly active disease at baseline. Uh, that meant that they could have uh, either one, uh, at least one gadolinium-enhancing lesion within the six months uh, prior to entry into the study, um, uh, nine or more T2 lesions in the brain at baseline, um, or two or more relapses in the prior year. Um, about half of the participants in the study um, uh, met these one of these criteria, and 92% uh, of them remained in the study as of um, the cutoff time for this analysis. Um, again, got, uh, uh, parameters related to uh, lesions, gadolinium-enhancing and T2 lesions, as well as um, relapses and disability were measured. Um, and in this cohort, the annual relapse rate was 0.1. 93% remained relapse-free, uh, and the mean disability scale, EDSS, remained stable at to week 96. The new and enlarging lesions remained low, um, and... Um, the safety profile was similar in the highly active disease group. The MRI data were also presented at AAN 2023. These included the number of new gadolinium-enhancing lesions or enlarging T2 lesions, the change in the T2 lesion volume, 
the slowly expanding or slowly evolving lesions, uh, as well as paramagnetic rim lesions. Um, so with respect to the slowly expanding lesions, which again uh, are thought to be at least in part reflective of chronic inflammation within lesions that doesn't resolve, um, the, um, there were no clear differences between the treatment group. Um, and with respect to paramagnetic rim lesions, which uh, are lesions in which there is a rim of iron-containing microglia um, at the edge that are visible on uh, high-field MRI scans, indicating chronic, again, chronic inflammation in the brain. Um, there were most, uh, only a subset of the participants had this analysis, which requires uh, some specialized MRI hardware um, and software. Uh, the count of such lesions was unchanged in 18 patients who had the analysis. Um, two patients had at least one such lesion at baseline that then resolved, and three had a few new lesions, and these were all lesions that appeared uh, on trial. Um, and these chronic inflammatory lesions known as PRLs uh, occur in the wake of new lesions. So they weren't old lesions that had become inflamed, but rather new lesions in which inflammation was persistent. But for the most part, uh, there was stability of the paramagnetic rim lesions. There was also a, a study reported at um, the recent uh, ACTRAMS meeting in 2023, looking at uh, cerebrospinal fluid and plasma concentrations of talibrutinib in healthy volunteers at either 60 milligrams, which is the phase three dose, or twice that, 120 milligrams. Uh, talibrutinib was detected in the spinal fluid at all time points for both doses, um, uh, and, um, uh, reflective of its ability to cross the blood-brain barrier. Um, and uh, the doses were expected uh, to have an impact on microglia um, and, and providing proof of concept for the notion that some of the impact uh, of talibrutinib uh, may be related to its uh, effects inside the brain and not just in the peripheral immune system. Let's think now about future considerations with respect to BTK inhibitors in multiple sclerosis. Here's the current landscape of phase three clinical trials of BTK inhibitors in the brain. Uh, there are four um, in trials, evobrutinib, talibrutinib, fenibrutinib, and remibrutinib. Evobrutinib um, is uh, being trialed in two phase three studies um, uh, where the primary outcomes are expected um, to, be, um, uh, to be completed. Uh, in 2023. This includes patients with relapsing or secondary progressive multiple sclerosis with relapses, uh, and um, the trial's ongoing, uh, but uh, fully enrolled. Talibrutinib is being studied in four phase three trials, two in relapsing um, multiple sclerosis uh, uh, with an active comparator in teraflutamide, and two in progressive multiple sclerosis, primary progressive MS, the Perseus trial, and non-relapsing secondary progressive MS, the Hercules trial. And these are uh, ongoing um, with uh, expected uh, completion dates um, uh, in the not too distant future. And then uh, fenibrutinib um, is being studied in relapsing MS in two phase three trials against teraflunamide and in primary progressive MS uh, against ocrelizumab, a CD20 
a monoclonal antibody, um, and the uh, anticipated completion dates are in 2025 and 2026. And then finally, remibrutinib uh, is being studied in relapsing multiple sclerosis with a comparator of teriflunamide um, with a 2026 primary outcome uh, date expected. It's very important to discuss uh, with respect to BTK inhibitors um, significant uh, uh, regulatory events that have occurred over the past year. Um, that is, uh, the um, uh, partial clinical holds on both tolibrutinib and evobrutinib from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, in response to evidence of drug-induced liver uh, injury. Um, it is not surprising that BTK inhibitors have some impact on the liver. And in June 2022, the FDA placed a partial clinical hold on the phase three tolibrutinib trials, um, indicating that there should be no new enrollment. Um, the study drug was suspended in those with less than 60 days of exposure. However, um, other regulatory agencies allowed continued uh, recruitment, and that did go on in, this tr in these trials. Um, the events again all occurred early in the um, uh, in in the treatment, and so uh, patients who had been on drug for more than sixty days were allowed to continue. And then, much more recently, in April twenty twenty three, the uh, there was a partial clinical hold on the phase three evobrutinib trials for patients with less than seventy days of exposure. However, all um, uh, the trial was fully enrolled, and all participants were on treatment for more than seventy. Uh, days, and so they were allowed to continue. Um, and the reports uh, of severe drug-induced liver injury um, are sparse, uh, and data are still being collected and, and reported on this. Um, so with respect to differences among across the BTK inhibitors, um, we can think about uh, the impact of a variety along a variety of axes, um, the the domain target within the kinase, the selectivity, the tolerability, the dosing regimen, the reversibility of the inhibition, um, the binding, covalent versus non-covalent, and then very importantly, if we want to modulate chronic inflammatory processes in the brain, uh, CNS penetration. Um, and uh, I think data on um, the, the different BTK inhibitors with respect to these various, along these various axes still emerging. Um, are there meaningful differences among across molecules in the BTK inhibitor class? Uh, yes, uh, very much so. We already know about differences with respect to the mode of binding and the CNS penetration. Um, and uh, But we don't fully know yet uh, what the impact will be clinic clinically uh, with respect to efficacy or safety. But let's think a little bit more about what the potential impact could be. So can BTK inhibition alter the phenotype and function uh, of myeloid cells? And at the Actrams uh, Forum in 2023, some data were presented in this regard. Um, uh, in human whole blood, pretreated with evobrutinib or tolibrutinib, uh, inflammatory cytokines, including TNF and IL-6, were decreased. Um, and this was uh, also the case in human bone marrow-derived macrophages. Um, there was also evidence of increased phagocytosis after BTK inhibitor treatment, um, which may indicate improved ability to repair uh, MS-associated damage uh, within the CNS. And after a potent inflammatory uh, stimulation with lipopolysaccharide, 
uh, TNF was decreased in telebrutinib-treated cells, uh, but not evobrutinib-treated cells in this study, again suggesting some heterogeneity of effects uh, in these uh, non-clinical studies. Um, in another study, uh, proteomics in the cerebrospinal fluid um, were assessed uh, in uh, telebrutinib. This is a study of nearly 1,500 proteins using the O-Link proteomic platform uh, in a variety of uh, participants, um, including uh, untreated multiple sclerosis compared to healthy volunteers, um, as well as uh, patients in a trial um, in which uh, um, patients with evidence of paramagnetic rim lesions at baseline who had been taking um, ocrelizumab uh, and then were switched to telebrutinib uh, were studied. Um, and what was found um, is that over the course of this uh, study, some disease-associated proteins were modulated towards levels associated, uh, observed in healthy volunteers. And then very importantly, uh, some protein levels, including neurofilaments in the spinal fluid, um, were uh, decreased in the uh, setting of telebrutinib treatment out to 48 weeks uh, after transitioning from ocrelizumab. So how would we use PTK inhibitors in clinical practice? I think evidence is emerging from the phase two studies that it is likely to have an impact on relapsing multiple sclerosis um, and uh, will, um, should these uh, drugs eventually be approved, um, uh, will become part of the armamentarium that we have um, with respect to relapsing multiple sclerosis. Um, we're still gathering data with respect to uh, efficacy in um, progressive MS and in particular non-relapsing progressive MS. Um, and we will need to um, understand where in the treatment course these uh, drugs should be used. Um, and that, of course, is a balance uh, between efficacy and safety. Um, combination therapy, perhaps, uh, with um, B-cell inhibition um, may be an option down the road. Indeed, in um, tumors uh, in which BTK inhibitor is uh, are, are being used, they are, in fact, combined in many cases with CD20 inhibition. So that may represent a possibility uh, in the future. And then one of the things that, of course, um, will be on people's mind is whether discontinuation of a BTK inhibitor could result uh, in rebound. And in fact, there is some data already on this. Uh, at the American Academy of Neurology 2023 meeting, data were presented um, uh, looking at the four-week runout period in the phase 2b uh, study of telebrutinib. Um, and this allowed, uh, at least over a short period of time, assessment for rebound activity following discontinuation in the cohort one who had 12 weeks of telebrutinib followed by four weeks of placebo um, unlike cohort two, where that was flipped. And preliminary findings reported uh, suggest that discontinuation of the study drug did not induce rebound disease activity. However, longer observation periods are needed to validate findings. So just some thoughts uh, as we close. Um, uh, greater understanding of the role of B cells in multiple sclerosis, as well as microglia, uh, and other myeloid cells has led to the exploration of BTK inhibition as a potential avenue for multiple sclerosis. 
Um, that could work both potentially for some of the molecules, both in the periphery uh, and in the central nervous system. Four BTK inhibitors are currently in phase three trials for multiple sclerosis, both relapsing and progressive multiple sclerosis, and readouts are expected to begin later this year. So stay tuned for data on those. Um, and I think the different molecules have different properties, and so the distinctions among the members of the BTK inhibitor class will be really important in guiding um, treatment decisions in the future. Thank you for participating. I hope you found this activity informative and useful as we think about new avenues in MS care and the potential utility of BTK inhibition. This activity is certified by PVI, Peerview Institute for Medical Education. Remember to download the slides. Thank you for listening. Download materials and complete the post-test for instant credit at peerview.com forward slash TFV860. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Sanofi.